Well, it's good to be able to come today uh, to share from God's Word with uh, our church family and with our graduates. And it is especially good to be able to come um, and listen to a student who has come up through our ministries here at the church share what uh, God has put on his heart this morning. So I'm looking forward to uh, sharing the Word with you, but as Pastor Larry said, I'm also looking forward to um, sitting back and receiving the Word today as well. Our main scriptures today are going to come from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read those verses to you in kind of the way that we're going to uh, do this this morning. I'm going to give a little background on this passage, kind of um, put, us, uh, put our minds and our hearts where they need to be um, to know exactly what Paul was intending when, when he wrote uh, these two verses that we're going to look at today, and then Lloyd's going to come up. Um, and he's going to share with you guys um, how do we apply that to our lives? How do we live out those verses? Um, so that's what we're going to do this morning. But let's begin by reading those two verses in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Chapter 12 in the book of Romans begins the last major section of Romans, if you will. It's the application of what Paul has taught through chapters 1 through 11. Paul's purpose here, beginning in chapter 12, is to take the theology that he has written to the church in Rome and help them to apply that as they live in this life, as they live in the world that they were in. And consequently, we can also take the spiritual truths that we learn um, through this writing and apply it to our lives as well. Chapter 12 begins the section where Paul teaches that the redeemed are expected to and ultimately will serve Christ with their lives. I'm going to say that again. The redeemed are expected to and ultimately will serve Christ with their lives. You see, service to Christ is the proof of our salvation or the proof of our regeneration. By no means does service make us right with God. We can't serve God enough to be right with Him um, because our sin separates us from Him apart from Jesus. But service is the proof that, of the work that God has done in our heart. I think of verses like James 2.26 where it is said that faith without works is dead. This section of Romans is based on the idea that because of all that God has given to us, it is now time for us to give back to Him. This makes me think of a danger that is very prevalent in the church today. Um, this danger that we come to God and Christianity being all about what I get from God and then neglects what we as believers are called to do. The truth is that Christ does everything concerning our salvation. Everything. There's nothing we can do to come to God. But once we have been brought from death in our sin to life through what Jesus did on the cross, 
We are all called as believers to do something. First and foremost, that is to turn and flee from sin in our lives. And then secondly, as we look at our passage today, we will see that we are called to obedience, commitment, and love in Christ. True commitment and true worship will always cost us something. There's a phrase in these verses, living sacrifice, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But true commitment and true worship always takes sacrifice, and there's always a cost. You can go back all throughout Scripture and see where serving God was costly. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, a little background on this passage, um, King David was taking a census. Um, now there's a little bit of, uh, of debate whether God told King David to take this census or whether it was actually a temptation from Satan to take this uh, census. In 2 Samuel 24, it says that God um, incited or allowed David to take a census. The same, uh, the same, uh, the same um, instance here is recorded in 1 Chronicles 21 where it says Satan incited David to take a census. And when I remember the first time that I read that and saw both of those, and I was just confused. Why was it a sin for King David to take a census? But when you read through these passages in their context, it becomes clear. Now, God may have commanded David to take the census, or he may have just allowed Satan to tempt David with that. But either way, in this passage, at some point, David used the census as a means of pride. Um, to boast about his kingdom, um, all that he had accomplished. Israel's success was because of him. At some point, David failed to give God the credit for really the ridiculousness of the success of Israel in the world at that time. But eventually, King David repented of his sin. He realized his sin and he repented and gave all glory to God. And he was seeking to build an altar to sacrifice to God and worship Him um, through His repentance. And that brings us to verse 24 in 2 Samuel. It says, Then Aruna said to David, Let the Lord, the king, take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering, and the threshing sledges, and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Aruna gives to the king. And Aruna said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. But the king said to Aruna, No, but I will buy from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. True worship always involves personal sacrifice and giving of ourselves. Does, does giving, does sacrifice and service bring us to God? No. But true worship cost Jesus his life, and now God is calling us to give of ourselves. So what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? Being a living sacrifice means giving of yourself fully to serve God with every aspect of your life. God is seeking true worshipers and he has done everything to initiate the process to achieve that through Christ's life and death and resurrection. But now he calls us to serve and submit to him because of what he's done in our life. This reminds me of what Jesus told the woman at the well in John chapter 4, where he said, The hour is coming, 
And it is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Worshiping in spirit and in truth is simply worshiping God with all of who we are. Every part of our lives, all corners of our lives. Um, recently, uh, several, several times in recent sermons, um, Pastor Larry has mentioned those dark corners in our lives, those areas um, where maybe we haven't given complete control to God. And as we grow in our faith, He reveals those areas to us, those dark corners. And we are called, when those dark corners are revealed to us, we are called to shine the light of Jesus on them, light them up with the gospel, um, uh, completely cover those dark corners, those areas of our life where we haven't given, given it all over to the Lord. Give it to God. Uh, dispel those dark corners with the light, with the light of the gospel. Paul begins chapter 12 with a plea. This plea is presented as a response to all that has been revealed in chapters 1 through 11. See, the first three chapters of Romans, I love the book of Romans, by the way. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. Um, you really get the whole gospel in one book. Um, Paul's intention of writing to Rome was to lay out the work of God throughout history um, with the culmination of Christ on the cross and then how we live for him. So the first three chapters, it's laid out that we are lost and hopeless. We're bound for hell apart from Christ. And then from the end of chapter 3 to chapter 11, it talks about what God has done and the great mercies that have been bestowed upon us through Jesus' death on the cross, how we can never come to God on our own, but through his love and his grace, he made a way for us to be right with him. Romans 5 verses 1 and 2 is a good example of this where it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace which we stand and we rejoice in hope and the glory of God. Paul's plea here is based around the many life-giving blessings and mercy that he has just laid out. The beginning of verse, tw verse 1 in chapter 12 there says, I appeal to you, therefore. The therefore re we refers back to what Paul had just proclaimed as kind of his summary of, verse, of chapters 1 through 11. There at the end of chapter 11 where he says, verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Look there at verse 35. It says, or who has given a gift to him that might be repaid? So after Paul lays out all of these great mercies that Christ has bestowed upon us through Jesus, through his death on the cross, he tells us, who can repay that? And that, you know, that is a question that we know the answer. We cannot repay that. 
Based on all of this that God has given us, who can repay that? What should our response be? Paul says that our response is to have a dedicated life to God because he has justified us before a holy and righteous God. Us, the unsavable, the unredeemable on our own, through the work of Christ, have been justified and can be made right with him if we call on Jesus to save us. So he calls us to dedicate our lives to him in response to that. So what does that look like? That's what we're going to talk about a little bit this morning. What does that look like? Romans 12, 1 and 2, I'm going to read it again. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And Paul's appeal here, or his plea, there's two things that we need to recognize. First, that this is to believers. Um, this is to believers only. He, ref- he refers to his audience as brothers. This is for those who have received the mercies of God. The lost cannot obey this command. The lost cannot please God in any way. And we know that from earlier in this letter, Romans chapter 6. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might not lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. You see, before one comes to Christ, we can't help but sin. Even when we do what seems good, our motives are sinful. The lost cannot serve God. So first and foremost, um, we must know Christ. We must be born again. We know the truths of the gospel. We know that we are all sinners, as we read about in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 tells us that in our sinfulness, um, we are detestable before God. It it uses the imagery of an open, rotting Grave, and, the, and then it tells us that all have sinned. And we know that we can never be made right on, on our own. Isaiah chapter 64 says that our righteousness, our best, the very best we can offer to God is as filthy rags before Him. We know that we cannot even come to God on our own. Jesus tells us in John chapter 6 that no one will come to Him unless the Father draws us to Him. And we also know that He did all the work before we ever moved. Romans 5, 8 tells us that while we were yet sinners, while we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. You cannot serve God unless you are first set free from sin, set free from the grave, and set free from hell. Now we know this. We know this in our lives. But it is a good thing to come back and remember what God has done in our lives today. And if there is anyone here this morning that has not been set free from the bondage of sin. I pray that today would be that day. But as believers, we know that. So as believers, we are called to serve Him with everything that He has. As we remember who we were before Christ, we are called to serve Him with everything we have. Paul uses the word mercies, the great mercies that that Christ has bestowed on us. A reminder of what Christ has done. Chapters 8 through 11 um, has, they have a theme. 
Um, if you go through in, in my Bible, in my ESV Bible, um, the themes that are written in in 8 through 11 are themes like this. Life in the Spirit, the future glory, nothing can separate us from God's love. God chose Israel. Salvation is for everyone. God's mercy on Israel. God's mercy on everyone. And God is patient. Look at Romans 9, 22 and 23. In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those whom he shows mercy, who were prepared in advance for glory. Because God has rescued and saved us and shown us these great mercies, we must, as the verse says, present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. We are not offering an unblemished ram of the Old Testament. Through Jesus, we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. You see, the flesh in the scriptures um, has the connotation of sinfulness. Romans chapter 8 describes the, the flesh as sinful. A big theme in the book of Galatians is the sinfulness of the flesh. Jesus himself described the flesh as weak when the, when the disciples could not stay awake to pray. He said the flesh is weak. But we have been set free from our flesh, from our sin. We can offer our bodies which once could only serve sin to live in obedience to worship. So finally, one last verse I want to share with you guys comes from Romans 8. 8, 11 through 14. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. So brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. You see, we have the ability and the privilege to live for Christ through, through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we can only do that through what we're about to learn about in verse 2. We are called to serve God because of what He has done for us. So how do we apply that to our life? Well, here in just a moment, Lloyd is going to come up and share I'm from, particularly from verse 2 and tell us how we apply these truths to our lives. So I'm going to pray for Lloyd, and he's going to come up, and he's going to share with us. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for the great mercies you have given us. Lord, I thank you that even though we were once lost in our sin, headed for hell, no way to be made right with you, Lord, that you died on the cross for us. Lord, you would have still been a perfect, holy, and just God to leave us in our sin. But because you love us, you made a way for us to be made right with you by paying the penalty for our sin. So Lord, help, help us to love you and serve you with everything in our lives because of that. Lord, I pray for Lloyd as he comes up to share what you've placed on his heart. Lord, hide him behind the cross. Let him make much of Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was going to keep my cap, uh, well, I don't have my cap, but my gown on, but I paid good money for this tie, so I wanted to show it off. <laughs> uh, 
Um, before I continue where Jason left off, um, I want to congratulate my fellow graduates. Um, I know it was not as easy as it looked. Um, I didn't make it look easy at all. I, I was very open about how uh, it was a, it got very difficult, got very burnt out at the end. Um, and which I had many conversations with Jason about that, of what do you do when you start reading the Bible as it's homework. Um, and per, just persevering through that. And I have to thank Jason and Pastor Larry a lot for that, um, for our conversations through the podcast or just hanging out on a Monday afternoon was very, very helpful for me. Um, and specifically, not to single out, but to single out, our only high school graduate, uh, Carter. Um, I know it said, they say freshman 15, but it's not capped at 15, so make sure, because like, it was like 45 for me, so just be careful, man. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, I want to read Romans 12, uh, verse 1 and 2 again. Um, I'm in NIV, I believe Jason was on ESV, so just be aware of that. Um, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve of what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Um, notice, I want to start with do not conform to the pattern of this world. Um, take note that Paul is addressing Christians in Rome um, in the original context, um, which is why he refers to the audience, like Jason said, as brothers and sisters. These, he's addressing already believers. Um, because he is addressing specifically Christians, um, one can think of the usage, usage world or pattern of the world to be equivalent with, to a lifestyle of sin. Um, because Paul is not writing to lost people, but to those already affirm, affirming the lordship of Christ. Instead of focusing on the current age, Paul is encouraging believers to focus on the end of the age that is to come. F.F. Um, F. Bruce in Romans, uh, an introduction and commentary, volume 6, said, and I quote, it is by the power of the indwelling spirit and the pledge of their inheritance in the world to come that they can resist the tendency to live according to the standards of this world. Um, the patterns in this world are the same as the patterns we followed before we were born again. So conforming to the world is the same as reverting back to your old ways as a lost person. We can see that in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Um, and so back, Paul's, the background for, for in Paul's time um, for why he even wrote the book of Romans. I wanted to give a little bit of information on that. Um, the emperor, for a while, uh, ordered, uh, made orders that resulted in Jews being removed from Rome for around five years. They returned to a growing Gentile church, um, one that had left behind uh, Old Testament practices, Jewish practices, things like kosher um, and circumcision. Um, of course, this caused a massive wedge between the Jews and Gentiles. Um, refusing to work together and worship together, um, which, is heavily, which was heavily influential as to why Paul wrote the book of Romans. He wrote Romans to clearly lay out the gospel, um, which is why it's one of my favorite books, um, and he also wrote it in a way that was clear to both Jews and Gentiles alike. Um, we see in Romans 1, 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of, of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, back to our time. Um, we've totally fixed all the division in the church. There's absolutely nothing wrong today. 
Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, there's a lot of division, um, even, although it may not be Jew versus Gentile um, uh, majority, but we do see massive division um, through different denominations um, over political views, secondhand matters, you know, types of service, that kind of thing. Um, and notice how that's a repeating pattern just from Paul's time to ours. Uh, saved people reverting back to their old ways and acting like lost people. Allowing little things to hinder our efficiency of reaching people with the gospel and creating stumbling blocks rather than working to prevent brothers and sisters from stumbling. My. Okay, I can sound like I was humming a little bit. All right. um, so I want to give a specific example. Um, obviously, that's an example of Christian, uh, a Christian and versus Christian uh, on secondhand matters. But what about conforming to the world when it comes to Christian versus the world? Um, one specific example due to the month that we are currently in, um, I would like to bring up how many companies this month are changing their logos to support the LGBT community um, during Pride Month. No, bear with me, I know everyone just sat up straight a little bit and uh, got a little bit worried, but bear with me. Many of these companies hastily remove it as soon as July 1st comes, or, or the end, end of the month. Um, and one thing that's always been disturbing to me is how these companies seem to do so not because they genuinely care, but because they care more about their own sales. Um, in, in contrast to that, there are some companies that come to mind who do not conform in this way. Um, many might not know the name Dan Cathy. Um, others may know it quite well, but in 2012 he said, we're inviting God's judgment on our nation when we shake our fist at him and say that we know better than you and as to what constitute, constitutes a marriage. I pray God's mercy in our generation that has such a prideful, arrogant attitude that we have the audacity to redefine what marriage is all about. For those that don't know, Dan is the CEO of the well-known and very loved by myself fast food chain, Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A has refused to change their company logo during, the Pride, during Pride Month um, and has obviously met opposition every year because of this. Many have begun to boycott uh, the fast food chain until they give in and change their logo, but thus far, they've continued to refuse to conform in this way and have put their foot down because of what they believe. And the reasoning I, I, I bring this up is not to try to convince you to have some waffle, friends, uh, waffle fries for lunch today, because one, they're not even open today, but also because I believe as Christians, when we decide to conform to the world, we aren't just harming ourselves, but we're actually harming those against us. And yes, it is harmful to us, but it's just as dangerous um, as the lie that we tell or allow to be told to thousands of fellow image bearers um, who don't know Christ. Um, I would ask the question, what is more loving, to encourage someone to speed down a path that they choose and are comfortable in, even though, if you goes off, even though it goes off a cliff, or warning them about the dangers that await them at the end, despite how uncomfortable it is to say, and despite how it affects your status in their eyes. I try to, to my, the best of my ability, to refuse to hide my Lord because it makes someone uncomfortable, mainly because the reason they squirm in their seat when they hear the gospel is the same reason I did some years ago. We are both sinners, and at one point we must face a righteous God. I believe allowing someone to, con to be comfortable on their way to death is evil when I know about the offer Jesus has made available to them, and especially knowing the great lengths that Christ went through to make it available to all people. We should not conform to the current age that is putting people on a path of destruction. Now, moving on to being renewed. We've thought about not conforming, so let's move on to transformed and renewed. 
Uh, Romans 12, 1, um, like Jason covered, um, shows Paul urging the believer to offer themselves um, and their bodies as a living sacrifice, which again is a, a direct tie back to the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament. While these offerings are obsolete because of Christ's uh, self-offering, um, there's still a way that we are to participate in sacrificial work, worship today. One example is the renewing of our mind, um, which is a work where we must work alongside the God, beside God, the Holy Spirit, as we avoid conforming to the world but instead conforming to the Word. Renewal is focused on the believer's mind. By transformed, Paul means a metamorphosis that completely changes our attitude, thoughts, feelings, and actions. John Whitmer, um, who worked on the Bible Knowledge Commentary, said this in light of Romans 12:2, As one's mind keeps on being made new by the spiritual input of God's word, prayer, and Christian fellowship, his lifestyle keeps on being transformed. This might come as a surprise to some Christians in, of the current age, but biblical doctrine is not taught just for you to know it, but also so that you can translate what you know into daily practice. And we see that in John 13, 17 as well. Um, now test and approve. Being that renewals of our minds conforming to God's will, we should evaluate Paul's mentioning of God's will and how we are able to test what God's will is in verse 2. Um, simply put, we are to prove by testing what God's will is. The reason Paul includes this thought is because of how testing is related to transformation. The further along a believer is renewed, the easier it is, um, and, and, or how easy it will, sorry, the easier it will be for them to recognize and test the will of God. This is because Paul says by being transformed that then, um, or sorry, this is why Paul says that by being transformed that then you will be able to um, test and approve what God's will is. By being constantly involved in God's word, the will of God will eventually become familiar to the believer and even enjoyable. Um, Paul describes the will of God, as he ends verse 2, as this perfect good and pleasing will. Um, the way I would encourage you to, to read those um, when it comes to God's will as perfect, uh, think of complete and perfectly filling, and then as good as being as righteous and moral excellence. And God's will is pleasing, as in pleasing to the ear of a follower that decides more or desires more of a holy God than, and less of himself. Um, and in summary, uh, Paul urges us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice by conforming to the Word of God and not to the current age. We can do this by renewing our mind and undergoing a lifelong metamorphosis that transforms the way we think, the way we act, and how we feel. As one grows farther and becomes more in tune to the Word of God, they will find it easier to recognize and easier to discern what the will of God is, and which Paul defines as his perfect, pleasing, and good will. And I would like for you guys to pray with me as we end in conclusion. Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to get into your Word this morning. Um, thank you for the celebration that we are able to participate of our college and high school graduates. Um, thank you for my own personal um, and my, my testimony and how you got me through not these past four years but all of, of school altogether and how um, you had all the resources there that I needed. And I'm sure that is the same case with, with our graduates as well, uh, fellow graduates as well. Um, thank you for the leadership at Piney Grove here. Um, thank you for the congregation that we have here, and I pray that we um, continue to renew our minds towards your word and not to the wor world. Um, in his Christ's name I pray, amen.